except those who believe, amen, except those who believe, وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ and do good works, you'd notice immediately that belief has been coupled with act, with actions. Now, in Islam, there has often been the, the argument that Islam does not have a um, an orthopraxy or something, something like that, which means that Islam emphasizes a correct action rather than correct belief. That is largely an error. What Islam does say and what does the Quran insists on is that belief without verification by action is useless. That and, and, and the Quran comes out clearly and says, why do you say what you not do? It is most hated to God that you say what you not do. To say I believe, but your acts contradict what you say, then that is of no value. And here we, in us itself, it says, except those who believe and do. But we notice that it says وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Good deeds. Without any specifications, I mean, it doesn't say آمَنُوا وَأَطَاعُوا الله And obeyed God. Which then would tell you that they have to believe and perform a religious, the religious law. But it says الصَّالِحَاتِ Good deeds. And then there was a question that of course arises. Let's say I am following religious law. By definition, is that a salihat? Not necessarily. A salihat could be much broader. Good deeds could be much broader than fidelity or obedience to the technical law. So, for example, if I perfect my wudu, that's good. But you cannot really call that salihat. However, if I uh, um, discover a cure for some form of cancer, that you can describe as part of the salihat. And then the question arose, is this basically saying that you must have faith and at the same time do good deeds not in the sense of simply technical obedience to the religious law, but keep the heart tender with the morality of good deeds. In other words, the ability to care enough to do what is good. You know, here, this arises the question of whether basically it's the notion of you believe in God and your actions are humane show a, 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 a humanist aspect or humanist side that you you go around feeding the poor taking care of the orphan making the road safe etc etc all of this as we know from various traditions whether of the prophets or of the, of the Quran's own is described as a salihat
Now, in Shiite theology, it insisted that this surah is evidence of the hidden or an esoteric message about the status of Shiism. That in every age, human beings will be led to error, ruin themselves through error, except those chosen few who believe, amanu, wa'amilu salihat, and then Shiites go and say, well, this is basically Ali. And the Shiite Ali, the, the, the and, and so in, in, if you look in Quranic commentaries written by Shi'i scholars, they often cite Al-Asr as proof of the legitimacy of Ali's message. And their, their argument is, is that the majority is always heading towards disaster and towards self-ruin and, and so on. Except, except, the chosen ones, the few, the select. Yeah. This thing in Ummah, if you're part of the Ummah group, then it's going to deteriorate? Yeah, except it's like it's, uh, it's an argument that has been often pointed out about Shi'ism that Shi'ism seems to always say that in every situation it's always going to be the minority who truly sees the light. That means that by definition, if the world becomes Shi'ite, then it is no longer just. So it's whatever becomes popular, by definition, has to be wrong. And that has always been pointed out about Shia theology, which Shiaism has basically solved by saying, well, Shiaism will never predominate until the Mahdi comes, uh, the Imam al-Ghaib comes, and then the laws of nature will alter. And for the first time, the majority can actually be right. But before then, the majority was always wrong. Now, flippant Sunnis in Iran are saying, well, that means then... The, but that, that's flippancy. I mean, that's... Um, that's not the worst. But anyway, okay. I just thought that you should know that, that that's one part that Asr did. So, if you read in the Quranic commentary and you find people going on and on and on and on and on about whether the, only an elite is aman or amal salihat or could it also be more than the elite, then you understand immediately that these people are worried about the Shia. In other words, the Quranic commentary is going on and on and on about that. It, it's not because it cares about whether the elite or not elite, because it's responding to Shiism, although quite often they don't tell you they're responding to Shiism. Now, what also will now, Tawassal is a fascinating term because Tawassal, it is not just to do, but Tawassal means to advise each other and it doesn't mean even advise in the sense of going around. How is it translated? It's closer to, in, to join together rather than, than, the, uh, than um, encourage. Tawassal is when you go around enjoining each other to do something, enjoining each other to do something, that's closer to tawassal. Because wasiyya means to give a, a trusted advice, like you trust someone to honor your advice. That's what a wasiyya is. And so a will is called the wasiyya. Your, your, the will you leave after your death. Now, tawassal, which is the verb form of, of that word, it basically means you go around entrusting each other 
and enjoining each other. And Tawasso, by its very nature, implies much action, much action, a lot of energy, much interaction. In other words, Tawasso, it, every time image I get, uh, when I say Tawasso, is like a bunch of bees humming around each other and, and flying around in, in a constant interaction. That's the, the, notion, the sense that Tawasso gives you. Tawasso was what? Now, here in joining and busily engaging with each other in what? In Haq. Now, Haq is another one of these words. Truth. So, Haq means truth. But there is no attempt to define or specify further what is that truth. Various suggestions were made. Some said, well, Yahya bin Salam has argued that it, it is the truth is Tawheed, Tawheed, the, the, the belief in the unity of God. And that, and that's the ultimate truth, that you go around enjoining each other to, to, uh, to absorb fully the unity of God, the Wahdatullah, the, the, the singularity of God, Qutada, are you know Al-Haqq, since God did not specify, we should always assume that Al-Haqq means the Qur'an. That they go around enjoining the Qur'an upon each other, uh, entrusting the Qur'an with each other. Al-Saddi argued that Al-Haqq is Allah, the only truth is really Allah. So they go around enjoining uh, um, or reminding each other, enjoining the remembrance of Allah upon each other. Now, here, a whole slew of theologians, jurists, commentators, among them people like Ghazali and Juwaini, Soyuti, had argued, no, the point is not whether the haqq is the Qur'an, or the haqq is the law, or the haqq is um, Qur'an, Allah, and what did I say? Uh-huh. Tawheed. Or belief in the unity of God. That's not the point. The point is that the process of going around, reminding of each, of each other for the search of the truth, that's the object itself. That's what salvages you from ruin. In other words, it is like coming and telling you, it is not what exactly you what exactly you achieve in exercising that's going to save you from becoming old, but it is the attempt to constantly keep yourself active. So it is as if arguing that the highest morality is the morality of the process itself. Not the, not the end of the process. So that the haqq is left as a vague term. This of course falls into the Juwaini's uh, discussions, him and Sayyuti and, and, and Ghazali and so on, who used to argue, does God want from us to find the right answer? Or does God want from us to try to find the right answer? Is the object is that God wants us to find what is right and wrong? Or is the object is that Really, the whole point is not the right and wrong, but is that your attempt to find what is right and wrong, and that in itself is what defines what is right and wrong. So that the process is right, the process is wrong. 
And so several had argued, no, tawassaw bil haq means that those whose creed in life becomes to go around searching for what is the truth, regardless of how they define it. As long as you have iman, belief in God, as long as you have acts of goodness and mercy, what we could call humane acts, and then after that, how we particularly define what haq is, what, what truth is, is quite beside the point. What really matters is that they are, the, the, the philosophy of life is to seek it out. And they go around challenging each other to seek out the truth. And finally, what Allah sub Why patience? And patience with what? Well, if the natural tendency, it's like if the natural tendency of gravity is what? To pull you downwards. And you want to resist that, there's an element of exhaustion and tiresome. If the natural tendency for you, if you fall, is to go down and smash to the ground, to resist that, to be able to somehow remain floating, you are going through the counter natural tendency. In other words, you are countering what is natural. And if the natural tendency is towards deterioration, and you want to, to actually go opposite that and resist that, then maintaining faith, good works, and the enjoining of truth is not going to be problem-free. In fact, it's going to be exhausting, tiring, and torturous. And consequently, hand-in-hand hand with the search for truth, the enjoining of the truth, is that they go around enjoining upon each other sub-patience. Now, here, several, like Ghazali and Shafi himself, actually said that the truth, the search for the truth, requires much patience, not because ultimately you find it, but because your mentality must be not one that is impatient and eager to jump on something and say, I found it, that's the truth. To put it differently, in our lingo today, you must not be one who is oriented towards hamburger knowledge. What I call hamburger knowledge or a vending machine knowledge mentality. You know, where you put a coin and then you press a button and the coke comes. And, and a lot of times the, the, the orientation towards knowledge is like that, is that you want to spend two minutes and then you want to know what's right and wrong. And Ghazali particularly, who had emphasized this quite a bit, but as well as, and, and I'm going to read you a quote from Shafi in a second about this, uh, said that, in other words now, to in order to counter the natural tendency of Nun, you need faith. You need a natural, you need to be committed, devoted to combining with your system of belief action and activity. In other words, that you actually do. Because your, your actions must verify. But, not just do and do it 
presumptuously and do it in, in the sense that I know what's good and I know what's bad and I'm going to simply implement it. But, because here, it's not what you might actually think is good deeds. It's quite the opposite. All you're implementing is your own version of ego or uh, your, your own egotistical understandings of what's right and wrong. So you need two more components. One is a, a people that are focused on the search for what is truth. Well, if you're, you're focused on joining the truth upon each other and interacting with it, you cannot assume a, de a solid definition of the truth in itself. It can't be, because there, there, then there is no tawasi anymore. If simply it is one or two or a group of people, in, let's say ten people, and two of them know what the truth is, and they simply go around telling people, do it, do it, do it, there is no tawasi anymore. But how? As to the patient's aspect, is that this process, this interactive dynamic in itself, is going to pre pre result in much pain, in much agony. And several have added, like Hisham bin Hassan, one of the very early commentators, Hisham bin Hassan had added that a true search for you to be deserving the status of non-deterioration, you will be tested by God time and time again. You will be tested through trials and tribulations, through pain and agony. And then you must form an interactive process in which you are constantly being patient in enduring the trials and tribulations. Qutada, of course, added, that you also are patient in, in pursuing the truth, you are going to have to sacrifice a lot of indulgences. In pursuing the truth, I mean, for one thing, that in pursuing the truth we obey laws that require that we discipline our desires and what we would naturally gravitate towards, indulgence, indulgence in, 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 in all types of of, of luxuries and enjoyments and pleasures and well pursuing the truth is going to require that you discipline these these pleasures and you discipline these indulgences which is going to create a sense of denial and a sense of denial is going to create a sense of pain and the society itself must be one which is consistently enjoining upon each other or itself patience Patience in pursuit of the haq, patience in pursuit of obedience, uh, 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 in, in, in the pursuit of good works, and patience in, in the discipline that is required. That is why Shafi would argue that understanding well as if you truly understand the as this is sufficient in itself. Second, because Shafi said Al-As basically makes it incumbent upon you to seek out the truth. Ittiba' al-Haq. To seek out the truth. Second, to implement what you believe to be the truth. 
والعمل بما تجد. That now that you have developed a belief as to what is right and what is wrong, that your actions verify your belief. Third, is that you are also teaching it. And he says this is the part of tawasim, that you do not simply consider it a private possession, but you are interacting with others and try to communicate with them what you have found. But in doing so, that you are giving it to the appropriate, that, that you are not simply throwing it away to anyone, but you are giving it to those who are fit for receiving it. In his expression, لمن هو له أهل وبذله لمن هو له أهل that you are giving it to that who is deserving of it what he means by this is that since most people are gravitating towards ruin then you are you do not engage those who are in a static state or in what they think is a static state, but actually are ones who are deteriorating towards ruin, about your, 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 your uh, um, search for the haq. Because if you think about it, you could have someone who wants to know, let's say that the, what they are searching is, why is it that in life some people suffer so much with debilitating diseases? Now, he could go and talk to everyone that he, he meets, he finds, to the, those who are brain dead and those who are not brain dead. According to, according to Ghazali, that would be, in fact, contrary to Surah Al-Asr. Because he, here he is engaging in an act of tawasi among those who are in khus. An act of tawasi engaging in enjoining in an interaction or a search for the truth among those who are gravitating towards ruin. Not among those الصالحات. So if you want an answer or you're truly trying to find an answer, go engage the exception. Those people who are not brain dead. So this comes up a lot of times with uh, people who are searching out studying Islam, for example. You'll find that Someone decided to, to start be, being religious, or someone is considering converting to Islam, and they go around and they talk to every person they meet. And according to Surah Al-Asr, in Ghazali's opinion, or his interpretation of Surah Al-Asr, that, uh, I'm sorry, Shafi, I don't know how he got to Ghazali, Shafi, that, that is actually quite contrary to what should be done, because then they are engaging anybody including those who are gravitating towards ruin. Rather, they must engage those who are among the exception of, who have faith, who are not hypocrites. There is no disparity between their faith and their actions, and those who similarly care about the search for the truth. And fourth, Shafi adds, then patience in learning what the truth is. Because as the Shafi has argued in the Risala and elsewhere, 
in um in several of his of his uh, um, polemics against the Syrians that those who are impatient in learning what is what the truth brings are often those who speed up the process of ruling rather than slow it down. So it yes, they, they, they it's like you know they think they, they they shift it forward, but they actually have the gear in reverse, and they're going to to, to speed towards the opposite direction. So in that sense, then al-Asr is quite simple. Surah al-Asr, despite of all you know, it could possibly mean this and possibly mean that. The message is quite essential. By the age, God is willing by the age. The natural tendency of human beings is one towards ruin. Except those who have belief, conviction, and are consistent by their actions verify what they believe in. The, the, the creed of their life, the creed of both their conviction and action, is one in which they are consistently enjoining and searching for the truth, and then being patient in the process of searching it out, not assuming that they have found it at first sight or first glimpse. Surah Al-Asr one of, was perhaps the core surah, not the core, sorry, but one of the essential and core surahs, one of them, in the development of Mu'tazili thought, in two aspects. You've heard of the school of Mu'tazili. Now, the school of Mu'tazili had if you, if you recall, had said anyone who commits a major sin will live in eternity in hell. مرتكب الكبيرة يخلط في النار. So if you commit a kabira, a major sin, you go to hell for eternity, according to the Mu'tazila. And the way they the reason through this, or they the said this, is that they said, see, God talks about human beings being in ruin. And if there is disparity between your belief and your actions, so you say, I believe, but you go commit adultery, or you fornicate, for example, then that means everything else falls apart, and consequently you are in a state of ruin. Now, of course, in Mu'tazila, for some reason, and they're of course talking about someone who's not repentant, someone who doesn't repent, someone who commits a major sin but doesn't repent. Yeah, we say, you know, for God to then come and forgive, what is He forgiving? Forgiving someone who's, a, who's in a state of ruin? This was uh, the first, uh, one of the arguments of God. The other thing was, as you know, the Mu'tazila have made, enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, one of the creeds of the faith, one of the pillars of the faith, unlike Sunnis, for example, Awr al-Ma'roof al-Mukar, while it is a wajib, a duty, um, it is not a pillar of the faith. It is not like prayer or shahada or zakah or psalm. Uh, the Mu'tazila argued that enjoining the good and forbidding the evil is in fact one of the pillars. They consider the sixth pillar. They, they don't consider jihad to be a pillar. They consider Al-Ma'ruf and Nehamukha is the pillar of jihad. Now, so, why? They said, look, if you see in the 
then for a society to live without the process of enjoyment, enjoyment, clearly what this surah tells you is that they're in ruin, they're khus, they're at a complete loss, lost. And consequently he said that enjoying the good and forbidding the evil is inherent. When the Mu'tazila were then confronted but enjoying what good and what evil because you see I could be an Ahlul Hadith person and I go, go around advocating Ahlul Hadith theology and in that I believe that I'm enjoying the good and forbidding the evil and their response is it doesn't matter. The point is that you are as long as you are real as you as long as you are being patient and in assuming in other words as long as you are being patient in your belief that you do not know the truth absolutely. Like the Mu'tazila, the whole notion of Allahu A'lam, by the way, God knows best, emerged with the Mu'tazila. That, the, that there is always a possibility that you are in error. You are wrong in what you believe or what you are following. And that you are patient with yourself and with others in that. So Surah Al-Asr, it's very material in the development of Mu'tazili thought generally. And as we said, it was also very material in the development of Shi'i thought. But in Shi'i thought, it played a different role. In the Shi'i thought, it played a material role in the notion that the majority of people will, are always wrong. And it's always the select few Shi'at Ali, the Shi'a of Ali in that case, who will see the truth for what it is, and so on. In the Sunni world, the Surah Al-As seemed to have been playing a very significant part of Sunni theology in the formative age of Sunni Islam. That's the first three centuries, or the first four centuries, actually. Because we find Shafi focusing on it, on it quite heavily, and a lot of the very early theologians and jurists among like, like Juwaini or, or Muqatir or Ta'alibi and so on, focus, focusing on it quite extensively. But after that, it became a culturalized. Culturalized meaning a part of culture, but it fell out of active discourse. So, for example, what Ishaq tells you, uses, talks about Surah Al-Asr, and says, Surah Al-Asr tells me a couple of things. Surah Al-Asr tells me that unless your actions very, are consistent, and I'll show you exactly what, I, what is meant by this. Ishaq says, unless your actions are consistent with what you believe, I don't believe that you believe what you say you believe. So believe without actions is worthless for me. Now can you imagine how much this influenced Islamic law, this idea? Because in that case, you're telling people, you can tell me you believe whatever you want, I don't believe you unless your actions are consistent. You can imagine the impact on Islamic law. Particularly that Shafi'i was extremely instrumental in development or development of Islamic law. And in the development of the science of Islamic jurisprudence. And Shafi, who, who understood this from an us again, had much of the principles of Islamic jurisprudence 
was faithful to this understanding. Number two, Jafai's notion, do you know Jafai's example of when ten people go to the desert, and they want to pray, and each of them believes the Qibla to be different, and how should they pray? Well, each one should pray the Qibla they, they desire. Again, he's deducting, partly deducting this principle from Al-Asr. And he says, well, if they're going to enjoin the truth, and God does not define the truth, God does not say the truth is X, it, and didn't say what Allah the Quran, or say what Allah Sharia, or what Allah or what Allah but also the haq and haq is a huge thing, the truth. Then that means the point is when these ten people go to the desert, each of them should enjoin each other to search the truth. Now each of them believe that the truth to be different because each of them believes the qibla to be a different direction. And in Shafi says then each of them should pray the, the direction he believes to be true. Yeah. And that's for, for, for political reasons more than anything. Mu'tazili thought in, his, in, in this inception was quite tolerant. But politically, and I believe it's because of the type of... Um, don't forget that before they instigated their mihna upon others, they went through a period in which they were the persecuted ones. And persecution always teaches insanity. And I've become firmly convinced that this period of persecution of the Mu'tazila made them very much like the Shiites and very much like the Khawarij believe that their foes cannot possibly be right because they're, 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 they treated them so unjustly and so on. Very much like Islamic groups today. I mean, they start out extremely tolerant and extremely open-minded and so on and so forth. And then they go through the persecution that they go through and then suddenly the world is divided into black and white. I think that accounts more, much more than their, 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 their ideas or system of thought. 